About 23 minutes after the hour on a, on a almost said Tuesday. It's a Thursday morning. That's, that's your, it's your fault, Robbie. You're talking about Fat Thursdays. I always thought it's Fat Tuesday. <laughs> now and now it's Thursday. Therapeutic Thursday. We're joined by Pastor Robbie Pruitt. Robbie is a, an, he's a, he's our, the only Anglican pastor we have on staff here at Broken Road Radio. Mm-hmm. He's the one. Yep. You put me on staff. That's yep. new. Yep. <laughs> Good to be with you, Jim and David, on The Broken Road. A pleasure as always. <laughs> Robbie's in charge of theology at Broken Road Radio and also okay. the executive director of Preserving Bible Times, their website, preservingbibletimes.org. You, you need to know that. Remember that, preservingbibletimes.org. Uh, Robbie, we've got a, a, a huge agenda today. I mean, I don't know how you're going to whittle this down, but from the Transfiguration to Lent and 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 uh, the the liturgical part of that, that is, what days are set aside for for what? Um, just I want Lent. Who decided we have to give something up for Lent? <laughs> you know, I've been telling. I've, it's, a, it's a good point. You know, repentance. It's been said that repentance is is turning 180 degrees from where the direction you're going and turning back. That was the message of John the Baptist, it was. Right. But but the problem with that view of repentance is it's only a 50% repentance. Hmm. And what we're looking for is a 100% repentance. I, I think sometimes we as Christians, we get the turning from right, but we don't get the turning to well, that's because right. they forget. Now, if I, I don't want to get deep into John the Baptist and why Jesus was here and the new kingdom, but that was the great reset. John the Baptist, as I understand it, said repent, which didn't mean stop sinning. It meant your whole animal sacrifice system of a way of justifying yourself before God doesn't work. It's wrong. We need to go back to the way things were in the beginning, which was also Jesus' message. That's repentance. It's throughout the old paradigm and adopt the new one, which is really the old one that we started with in the beginning. Correct? Yeah, I think the religious system lost God in the shuffle. <laughs> That's a big yes. problem. Yes. So yes. when you make it about sin and you know you look at God as a behaviorist, you know, Jesus died on the cross to make us good people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of not complete. That's not a complete view of things. And same with repentance. If we think that God just wants us to be bored and not to have any fun and to slap our hands every time we do something wrong, and that repentance is only turning from sin, then we miss the other half of what God has for us. Because repentance is actually turning from our sin and turning towards God and all that God has for us. It's not just saying no, it's saying yes to to God's way of life for us. So this Lent, I mean, you're right when you point out Lent is often, you know, looked at as what are we going to give up? And that's the turning from part, Hmm. turning from the sin, turning from this thing that I love to do that I'm not going to do because I'm going to suffer with Jesus. I mean, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying it's incomplete. And my view of Lent is don't just quit something. We Christians don't want to just be a bunch of quitters. <laughs> you know, we want to start something, you know. Christianity is often looked at as okay, we know what you guys are against. What in the world are you for? 
Good point. I mean, that's, that's a that's message the other we part need to. We need to be proclaiming that. And and this this whole thing about suffering with Jesus brings. Now I just just did what what we call a fourth Sunday service for our church here. It's a Zoom meeting when everybody else has gone to a, another church down in Austin. And um, part of what what I talked about was asceticism. Uh, mm-hmm. The days in, in the second, third century when it was fashionable among some to go live in the desert by themselves on columns of stone. Uh, Simeon the Stylite was the, probably the model for that. And, and a lot of people took that to mean, I need to go out. I need to reject my family, my, my community. I need to go out and, and deprive myself of all the creature comforts. And that, will, that will get me closer to God. Yeah, and then there yeah. were, there's there's self-flagellation where you whip yourself before you pray, or you crawl across a field of a floor of broken glass so that you bleed and hurt before you're ready to pray to God. That all seems to be a misunderstanding of the same motivation behind Lent, does it not? Absolutely, and Paul gets to this when he writes to the church in Colossae. Colossae when he writes his letter of the Colossians. He talks about putting off and putting on. So you take off the uh, sin nature, you put on Christ. And he also talks about observing these kind of empty rituals. And he says, don't, don't do that, or don't just be about that, but put on Christ. So, you know, we can suffer with Jesus certainly by giving up something or giving up our sin I mean, that, that might be one way of, of suffering, but rarely do we think that suffering with Jesus is making like a positive decision that, hey, I'm going to do missions. And so by doing missions, I'm going to make a positive decision to go to this country and serve this country and these people, and thereby I'm going to suffer with Jesus by doing a positive thing. And so Paul talks about this in Colossians chapter 2 about asceticism. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, being puffed out without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints, ligaments, and it grows with a growth that is from God. So Paul says, don't submit to these regulations. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to these things that are passed away. According to human precepts and teaching, these have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So I think, uh, I think the other part of uh, repentance or you know, giving things up might be giving up our will and choosing to follow God's will. So what, do you, what are we going to start during Lent? I'm more concerned that myself and my parishioners that not that we give something up, but that we maybe start doing something we should have been doing all along. Maybe we start um, giving more. Maybe we start uh, evangelizing more. Maybe we start 
a discipling relationship with someone else. Maybe we start to read our Bibles more. Mm. Maybe we start to pray more. Maybe we start to spend more time with Jesus. See, we get the turning from right, but we don't always get the turning to right. And again, asceticism is empty religion, self-made, man-made religion, as Paul calls it in Colossians chapter 2. Important message Mm. and and, and well put. Uh, Transfiguration. Yeah. I, I've spent a lot of time reading about this and thinking about it over a long period of time, and I haven't figured it out. Um, Peter, James, and John, just the three. He, they're the kind of the inner circle within the, the, the 12. Um, apparently, Jesus felt they needed a special experience, that, and, and he said, don't talk about this to the others. Don't tell them what happened. I've never understood that part. This seems to be something that he'd want them to go out and say, guess what I saw today? I mean, mm-hmm. it was a, a miraculous thing. Tell us about the transfiguration and the whys and the wherefores. Well, we in the liturgical tradition in the Anglican Church, we look at the transfiguration on two separate occasions. There's the Feast of the Transfiguration, and then, of course, this Sunday, uh, February the 11th, is, a, a, is the Feast of Transfiguration again. And so two Sundays or two holy days out of the year, we're looking at the transfiguration. I feel like um, I feel like I talk about the transfiguration a lot. I know that even on this show, I think over the last three years, we've talked about the transfiguration, I think, four or five different times. And here we are again. It must be important, not only that the church is looking at it, but all three gospels, uh, the synoptic gospels, I should say, are looking at the transfiguration. So you have the account in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. You have the account in year B, which we're in the lectionary year B. We'll be looking at Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 8. That's Mark's account of the transfiguration. And then it shows up again in Luke, Luke 9, 28 through 36. So the synoptic gospels, all three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, have an account of the transfiguration. Jesus taking these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, up onto the high mountain to reveal something special to them. This is after Peter's confession that upon this rock I will build, when Jesus says to Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, when he's asked, when Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And some say John the Baptist, others say the prophet, some say Elijah. And Jesus asked plainly, who do you say that I am? And then Peter gets it right. Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And he says, from now on, you're going to be Peter. And upon this rock, I'll build my church. Now, Peter does mean rock, but Jesus is referring to the truth of what he said, not the person of Jesus. There's two separate words being used in the Greek um, with Cephas or rock. He's actually referring to truth. He's referring to Peter's declaration. And then immediately following, Jesus takes his disciples up to a high mountain to to reveal himself to them. To And their meeting with him is Moses and Elijah. And I think the last time we talked about this, maybe around August, I was bemoaning that Abraham wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, uh, he, you might recall me saying, why not Abraham? 
And, and I'll tell you why I'm thinking that. Number one, he's the father of the Jewish nation. Number two, he has a mountaintop experience when he goes up to Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac as God has instructed, and then there God provides a sacrifice. So Abraham encounters God, and there's a prefiguring of the sacrifice of Jesus, God's only son, and this idea that God's going to provide the sacrifice on the holy mountain, and he does. And so Abraham has this mountaintop experience. Moses also has a mountaintop experience on Sinai, where Moses sees God, and there's the the Israelites are waiting at the base of the mountain, and there's this holy presence. You can't even touch the mountain, or you'll surely die. And then Elijah has a mountaintop experience. After defeating the prophets of Baal, he's in he's in the mountain cave, and there God comes in the wind, the earthquake, the fire, and then Elijah hears God in the still small voice. So. Both Moses and Elijah have a mountaintop experience. I believe Matthew's highlighting this experience because he wants to see, he wants us to see Jesus as the greater Moses, the greater fulfillment of the law. He wants us to see Jesus as the greater prophet, uh, greater than the prophet Elijah. And then, of course, this is echoed, or I would say, the source is Mark's gospel. Matthew picks it up, and then Luke picks it up, and Adds adds and adds to um, details that they they choose. Why was Elijah so significant? What uh, he, he's you know he's he's the one making the way straight in the desert. He's he's mm. he's the precursor of Jesus, um, but he lives on in the culture in a very prominent sort of way. I'm thinking of the fifth cup in, in, during the Sabbath ceremony of the wine. The fifth cup is 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 Elijah's cup. It's 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 poured, but it's left full until Elijah comes. Um, it's almost like they expected Elijah as strongly as they expected Messiah, because the two go together. But that he would be on the mountaintop in that transfiguration, as opposed to Abraham, surprises yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's the dynamic that, you know, Elijah's supposed to prefigure the figure Christ. You brought up John the Baptist earlier, um, the, John the Baptist's call to repentance. Well, he, Jesus says, if you're willing to accept it, he's Elijah. Well, the Pharisees thought he might be and asked him if he was Elijah. They went and out to John no. to witness yeah. what he was doing. So Elijah what, was a threat to the Pharisees, to the <laughs> Jerusalem establishment. Well, he's certainly ushering in uh, the messianic kingdom when he shows up on the scene. So that's going to... They should be worried then, yeah. Yeah, that's going to mess up their religious system, right? So, yeah, John the Baptist is Elijah. I don't know that John the Baptist even fully understands. And you get this when, you know, John the Baptist is imprisoned by Herod Antipas at Machaerus, and he sends word, you know, Ask Jesus, is is he who we're is he who we're looking for, or should we look for someone else? I mean, that's that's showing you the humanity of John, but it also shows you that maybe he doesn't even understand the full significance of who you, he is. You talked about that some time mm-hmm. ago, and it was one of the most revelatory things I've experienced in 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 in, in the Gospels is when. They asked Jesus, you know, they, they said, we're, we're here from John. He wants to know, know if you're the one to be expected. And he, he gave a cryptic answer. He said, the blind see, 
the, the lame are healed, the lepers, and, and it, it turns out that was from Isaiah. Yeah. And it yeah, was a coded cool. message back to John. That just surprised me utterly, because I always, yeah. I, it was always a riddle to me. Why couldn't he have just said, yes, I am? I'm the guy. <laughs> and he did. Mm -hmm. You know, he affirmed John's book. You know, if John's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the pathway of the Lord. Well, he's quoting Isaiah. So what happens later mm -hmm. in Isaiah, other than the Messiah is going to come and the dead are going to be raised and the blind are going to see. And so Jesus quotes John's book back to him. He quotes Isaiah back to him. So the answers are resounding. Yes, he gives his witness or his credentials back to John. And then he defends John after he sends the messengers back to John to give this message. He says, listen, of everyone born of women, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So there it is. Now, if that's not good enough for you, uh, we have the Mount of Transfiguration. And and by the way, that I'm being you know tongue in cheek. Of course, that's good enough for us. But it, let's say it wasn't for a skeptic or a doubter. The Mount of Transfiguration provides for us not only Moses, but Elijah, who is to come. So Elijah doesn't take, taste death. He's taken up in a chariot of fire. He gives his mantle to Elisha, and uh, he doesn't die. Elijah and Enoch, who walked with God and was not. So these are two men of God who do not die, and even with Moses, you have an interesting death experience where Moses sins against God and he strikes the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And uh, he can't enter into the promised land. God himself shows Moses the promised land again on another high mountain, Mount Pisgah. And then um, when Moses dies, God himself buries Moses. Now, what a funeral. Hmm. You've got an audience of one. That audience is God. And not only that, he takes out his proverbial shovel and buries Moses, probably uh, puts him under rocks, actually, um, buries, uh, buries him under uh, a pile of rocks there in the, the foot of the mountain. Here you've got Moses and Elijah appearing on the holy mountain with Peter, James, and John. And it, it's a magnificent thing, and this is the journey to the cross. This is the event that begins because when they come down that holy mountain of transfiguration, Jesus is going to set his face towards Jerusalem. He is going to begin his journey towards the cross. And so he has this last litmus test with his disciples to ensure that they understand who he is. And then he, he goes to Jerusalem. Now, the mountain is debated. Uh, some folks believe it's Mount Tabor. Uh, but I, I believe it's Mount Hermon because of way, the connection. Way up north. Well, that, it does say in Luke that they were in Bethsaida, which is north northeastern shore of Galilee. But And then it's eight days later, and Luke mentions that specifically, eight days later is when the, the transfiguration happened, which suggests that, that he had to travel someplace. Uh, there's, a reason, there's a reason that Luke put that in there. Um, so I, I, I guess that's as, as good as any place. I'm, I'm not sure how important it is that we know the mountain, but I sure would like to know. Yeah. Because one of the, yeah, thing, one of the things in, in, in uh, contextual study is the, the question, what happened there before? 
So if, if we know Jesus is in a place and does something, heals somebody, um, uh, or says something profound, that probably something similar happened in Old Testament times. And I'm just wondering if the transfiguration was done on a mountain where something else significant happened. Mountaintops seem to be prominent in, in, in Jewish history. They, they are. And, uh, you know, I'd never considered the Lucan account and some of the time stamps that you just put on there with the eight days. But that, to me, confirms even further that it would be Mount Hermon. I mean, the reason I'm, I, I'm seeing that as a good candidate for the mountain is because of the presence of Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus takes his disciples for this final exam, who do people say that I am? I mean, this is the place to do it. There's all these niches where there are the different idols. And if you look at my podcast picture, uh, if this goes up later, if you go back and look at the podcast picture, I'm actually sitting in one of those niches mm -hmm. where these idols were placed. And uh, this is a great place with all of these different gods, you know, this pantheism that's happening to ask his disciples, do, do, do you get it yet? Do you understand who I am? And then to take them up to a high mountain, it would. I mean, this isn't just a, a quick hike. I mean, this is mountaineering. Mount Hermon is, is uh, covered snow-capped year-round. And I almost think that the reason that mountain is chosen is not only is it a miracle that Elijah and Moses show up, it would be a double miracle if they show, showed up on top of that mountain. Hmm. As remote as it is, I mean, this is, you it's know, I've, the, I've the, the very northern tip of what was then Israel. Yeah, yeah. And I've, I've climbed some of these uh, mountains in Colorado that are 14,000 14, feet. And it's just, it's astonishing. It, it is a, it is an experience with God and his creation in and of itself to be up on, on top of a mountain that high. Do and, you know the names uh, Jay Lightfoot? And, I don't. Um, um, and um, that's, it, it, it just canceled on me. And there's another guy, Jay Lightfoot and R.H. Fuller. There's not familiar. Not, Bell. They not agree you. with you. Oh, okay. They agree with you as far as, the, as, far as Mount Hermon being the place where the transfiguration took place. And what are some um, of the reasons or the rationale that they, they bring to this? Because it, it was the highest site in the area. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they say that it's, it's close to Caesarea uh, yeah. where previous events reported it took place. I mean, for many of the same reasons that you buy, you buy that notion, they agree with you. That's great. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm with Jim, though. At the end of the day, you know, it doesn't really matter. It could have been the Cliffs of Arbel. It could have been Tabor. It could have been any mountain. Um, the, the importance is what happens there, mm -hmm. that we see the Trinity there, similar to Jesus's baptism. You've got, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He hasn't even done anything yet. When he comes out of the water, the spirit descends bodily like a dove, not as a dove, but like one. That spirit descending bodily is fascinating to me, but we see this again in, in the transfiguration. We see the spirit in the radiant glory. The clothes is, is bright white as no bleach or 
laundry detergent could get it. <laughs> and actually, they probably used urine back then to whiten clothes. I'm sorry to put that on you, but <laughs> most likely true. And then you get the voice from heaven that uh, this voice from heaven is is saying, this is my beloved son. This time, listen to him. So in other words, he's greater than the prophets who spoke for me. And he's greater than Moses that gave you the law, my law. So Jesus is the embodiment of the prophets. He's the embodiment of the law. He's the law personified. He's the prophets personified all in one body. The perfect fulfillment of the law and the prophets. This is what Jesus said. I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And so Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And here he's with Elijah, with Moses, and God himself, the Father, God the Father says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. So you've got the son, you've got the radiance of the spirit, you've got the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. And it could have been around the Feast of Tabernacles, which is one of the reasons why Peter's saying, hey, let's build some tents and stay here. Let's build a tabernacle. I actually believe that Peter's stumbling over the whole Nietzsche and the rock thing. You know, I'm going to put you up on the shelf like uh, like Moses or Elijah. Mm. <laughs> I think Peter's missing the, the point here. I'm going to build one booth, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You know, like it seems to me, he he yeah. was putting he was raising Jesus to their level when Jesus actually is is is, is a higher pay grade than either of them. Um, yeah, that that part has mystified me. Why it's included? It must be significant because it's in 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 the Luke conversion as well. That he yeah. he wanted to build a tent, which would have been like like what tabernacle, like a, a booth, yeah, a booth. Um, not, but and it says not knowing what he had said. That's the piece that makes me think Peter's not thinking feast of the booths, where we're camping out in the wilderness like in the days of Moses. Mm-hmm. That's not it. Not knowing what he said makes me believe his mind is going back to Caesarea Philippi. Uh-huh. I'm going to put Jesus up on the shelf. Like the great Moses. I see. I put Jesus up on the shelf like the great Elijah. And they're all one and the same. We'll give them each their own little niche. Mm-hmm. And we put God in the box just like he uh, where Peter's we been taking he heat for that ever since, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love the the old poem. There's no go- no box made by God nor man that the top cannot be blown off, the bottom kicked out, and the sides flattened to create a dance floor mm-hmm. upon which to celebrate life. You know, we're always trying to put God in a box, and God's always trying to break out of the box. Ever since, I mean, just think about it. I mean, Jesus born in a box, born and put in a box, the manger, and uh, Jesus is breaking out of the box. And this is why God says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Don't put him as an equal as Moses and Elijah. Put him as the fulfillment, the author of the law, and the great prophet. The Transfiguration, you can read about it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It doesn't appear in the Gospel of John. But uh, I'd probably lean toward Mark because he probably got it directly from Peter. What happened on that day, in that place, Mm. in that time. So, Pastor Robbie is the Executive Director of Preserving Bible Times. For uh, more on Bible context, you might want to pay them a visit, preservingbibletimes.org. Lots of materials there, much of it for free. But you can purchase books, either e-books 
Um, well, the written books now are, are by the board, so everything is an e-book, which means you get it instantly. Uh, and uh, audiobooks and videos, and you'll learn a whole lot. You'll, you come away thinking about the Bible differently. You'll see it in, in full color, in 3D. Um, Bible context is critical. It's a key to understanding. So please uh, pay them a visit, preservingbibletimes.org. Robbie, thank you so much. We covered it again, and uh, there's a whole uh, library of uh, podcasts with Robbie on the uh, Broken Road Radio site, brokenroadradio.com. Go to the podcast tab at the top and click on his name, and you can you can pick and choose, download, and share. be a good thing to do, too. Robbie, have a terrific week, and, uh, well, well, I imagine we'll be into Lent next week and talk about that, huh? Yeah, Shrove Tuesday, this Tuesday, mm-hmm. Ash Wednesday, mm-hmm. this coming Wednesday, and if you're Polish... It's Fat Thursday today, so we'll we'll see you. We'll see you after a couple of more jelly donuts. You really do have a little jelly down there on the lower corner of your lip there, I see. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on the Broken Road. Good to be with you all. Thanks, Robbie. Bye-bye.